This Holy Week, we feature two of the finest theologians and Christian educators, I believe, in our era. Dr. Timothy George, today and tomorrow, and Fitzsimmons Allison, the Right Reverend Fitzsimmons Allison, will be with us Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and Good Friday. Today, we're uh, really honored to have you, uh, Dr. George. He's the uh, president and founding uh, dean of Divinity, uh, of Beeson Divinity School, which is known for its orthodox and sound faculty graduating really uh, solid orthodox sound uh, seminarians. Of his many books, we have in stock in our bookstore three of his important titles, Theology of the Reformers, Reading the Scripture with the Reformers, and Amazing Grace. They are available in our bookstore uh, after our service. It's a real honor to call you uh, my friend, Dr. George. Thank you for being for being with us. Uh, one thing you might not know about him is he's a prolific writer, but he uh, has never touched a keyboard in his life except to uh, just touch it and say, I don't want any part of this. Everything is dictated. <clears throat> he will preach after he sings stanzas one and four of him, 474. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days after Passover, Jesus entered Bethany, where Lazarus, so recently raised from the dead, was living. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table. Mary came in with a jar of very expensive aromatic oils, anointed and massaged Jesus' feet, and then wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of the oil filled the house. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, even then getting ready to betray Jesus, said, Why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily brought 300 silver pieces. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, but also embezzled them. Jesus said, let her alone. She's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. You don't always have me. Here ended the lesson. Have you ever noticed how Jesus always seemed to be eating with somebody? Not only with the high and mighty, but also with the down and dirty and smelly. Peter, the fisherman. Zacchaeus, a crooked politician. With prostitutes and all kinds of ne'er-do-wells. And so there was a saying that arose about him, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. But here in John 12, there's a different kind of meal going on. We might call this the last dinner, as opposed to the last supper, which will happen shortly in this Holy Week. Jesus here is in the company of his beloved friends, Mary, Martha, 
and Lazarus. Lazarus just freshly raised from the dead. What a tourist attraction he must have been. Are we surprised that Judas is here also? He has a role to play in this story. We tend to think of Judas in hindsight. His very name is synonymous with conspiracy, betrayal. But he is here because he is a highly respected member of Jesus' inner circle. Competent, trusted, Judas is here. And Martha, dear, dutiful Martha, busy in the kitchen with the lamb and the rice and the cheese. Martha is the one character in this story we can perhaps most easily identify with if not in her service, at least in her distractions. Jesus once said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. So she was, and so are we. But now the spotlight falls on Jesus and Mary and her extraordinary act of devotion. A few years ago, the New York Times carried a story about a discovery near the Dead Sea in Israel. A flask filled with a rare and very valuable ointment was found in a cave not far from where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. Wrapped in palm leaves and buried deep inside the cave, someone had hidden it there, hoping perhaps someday to return and reclaim the treasure. Somehow Mary has acquired such a flask of precious aromatic oil. Perhaps it was a family heirloom or her dowry. But she does not hide it in a cave. After dinner, she brings it out, smashes it to pieces, breaks it open. No doubt Martha would be there to clean up the shards. And then she lavishes it on the feet of Jesus, toweling his feet with her long tresses. An act of devotion both extravagant and prophetic. Extravagant because this stuff was expensive, worth a full year's wages. Judas has figured this out on his calculator and elicits from Jesus one of the most quoted and most politically charged statements in the New Testament, the poor you have with you always, which is used to support the philosophy of both Rush Limbaugh and Rachel Maddow, both of whom are equally vacuous of spiritual wisdom, as far as I can tell. Now, it was, it was extravagant, not only because it was expensive, but also because this act of Mary pushed the bounds of social propriety. An unmarried woman, Mary, a Pharisee-leaning rabbi, Jesus, unheard of. It was customary to anoint the head of an honored guest, but Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Could it be that this is not so much about sensuality as 
humility. A few days later, you know, the posture is reversed. And Jesus is the one on his knees, doing the work of a slave, washing the feet of his disciples, including Judas. An act of supreme humility. When the Son of God humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Mary, at the feet of Jesus, anticipates that sacrifice by giving him something precious as an act of love. It was extravagant. But it was also prophetic. And prophetic in two directions. For the symbolism of what she did was rich and deep, reaching back to the old covenant promises of God and stretching forward to the culmination of that first Holy Week. James Allison finds a foreshadowing of Mary's display of love in the words of the Old Testament canticle we call the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. In words like these, While the king was on his couch, my oil gave forth its fragrance. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. And then later, your head crowns you like caramel. And your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. No wonder the Song of Solomon had a hard time getting into the Old Testament canon. But here it is. And it's not about 75 clever ways to have sex, despite what some well-known preachers are saying today. Yes, it is about the marital intimacy of a particular husband and a particular wife. But even that sacred relationship points beyond itself to an even greater mysterion, as St. Paul calls it. The reciprocal love of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Mary at the feet of her Lord is a member of his body. His bride. She represents all those believers through the ages who have opened their hearts to Jesus and who have sung with overflowing affection. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Words written by a 16-year-old new Christian a little over a hundred years ago. But the special significance of Mary's loving devotion for us in this Holy Week is that it points not only backward to the covenant promises of God fulfilled in Christ, but it points proleptically forward to the suffering and death of Jesus that was just around the corner. 
She did it, he said, for the day of my burial, in anticipation, in honor of the sacrifice he would make. And how did Mary know this? Did she receive a flash of revelation, of illumination, Mary the mystic? Well, perhaps. But I rather think she knew this because of where she had been all along. For every time Jesus was around, always Mary is there too, at his feet. Again and again, Jesus had said to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered to the chief priests. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put to death. Again and again, he had said that. In their presence, they sloughed it off. They never really believed him. One time, Peter even said, Lord, it doesn't behoove you to suffer like this. But Mary at his feet, listens and believes and understands far more than anyone else what is ahead for her Lord in his passion and death. Have you found yourself in this story? Are you Judas? A limousine liberal? Greedy? Scheming, self-righteous on the inside, whatever the pretense may be otherwise. Are you Lazarus? Surely someone here today has been raised from the dead. Given the chance of a new beginning. Of starting all over again. Are you Martha? Busy, distracted. Worried, worried. Maybe there's something of all of these in each of us. But oh, that we could be like Mary in this holy week. To find time to sit at Jesus' feet. To listen and believe and understand. To hear his words. To feel his touch. To make an offering to him of something precious and dear to us. To make our very heart and life an offering of something beautiful for God. Let us pray. That we would be like Mary, making our very heart and life an offering of something beautiful to God. Amen.